This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You're listening to a DM podcast. Just a quick warning. This podcast series contains discussions about crime, trauma, sexual abuse, drug use, and suicide. Listener discretion is advised. I used to rob banks in the 80s and 90s and did 23 years in prison in three different states. It took 30 years to talk about the sexual abuse that happened to me and the spiral into crime, addiction and depression that all occurred as a result. Now, having turned my life around, I talk openly to inspirational people about trauma, survival, transformation and hope. I am Russell Manser and this is The Stick Up. Pete Natoli, welcome to The Sticker. Thanks, Russ. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Not a problem, mate. We've touched base through social media, and the reason why I reached out to you um, was I really liked your honesty about the Victoria prison system. And Can you just state what you're, you know, what you're formerly employed doing? So uh, currently I'm working as a deckhand crew member on uh, Sea Road Ferries, yeah. Queen's Diff to Serenai. Um, that's what I'm currently doing. But yeah, so I left the system after 12 years. What were you doing in the system? We talk about the system, we talk about the Victorian prison system. Yeah, Corrections Victoria, yeah. So I started in 2002 yeah. at a medium security prison in Castlemaine, Loddon, Loddon yeah. Prison there. There for about five years yeah. in that place, and then I um, still with corrections, done a uh, programs coordinator's role and yeah. uh, facilitated violence programs in the community. Was that sort of like a parole officer, or was no? It-, it was more like so. Prisoners would get released on parole, and yeah. part of their conditions was to complete a ten um, week violence program. So I would then set up them programs yeah. around the state, and then co facilitate them with psychologists to sort of get into that. One would think. Someone to be passionate about helping people and making people change, uh, helping people change. Yeah, well, I seen, um, I seen that when I was at Loddon Prison. Like, we're not just, we don't just lock them up and lock away the key. People are going to get out, yeah. and we want them in society where they've done pretty much what you've done. Yeah. Like, that's the end goal is to yeah. um, turn people around. So, as officers, you know, like there's this old stigma that green versus blue, but it doesn't have to be like that. You know, we, we can be in there and helping prisoners get their rehabilitation and get what they need in the community. Yeah. And that's what I was passionate about. Like, I wanted to see what it was like on the outside where ex-prisoners turn up to um, programs in the community and complete their courses. But, you know, the downside to that is I also saw what didn't work for them mm. as well, which then helped me when I got back into the prison system yeah. some years later. Well, what were the things that you've seen that didn't work? The biggest thing I, I found was I'd get out on parole and you have to do this program for 10 weeks. But half the guys would never turn up because they're working. Mm. They got it wrong. The system's wrong there because you want to get out of jail and start a job and get some housing and get – but the priority was get out of jail and do a program. What are the consequences if they didn't turn up to the program? Oh, so if they didn't have legal three at the time – they would get called in, have a meeting with a psychologist. If that didn't turn up a fourth time, they'd be breached. Breached the parole, didn't complete a program, sent, sent back in. Sent back in. Crazy. Yeah, so, yeah, I don't know. I just saw I saw guys on the outside that, 
you know, like I, I'd done programs up in Mildura, which is northern Victoria, and um, I had guys in the program that I had in prison. Yeah. So I'd seen them in prison and then seen them out and saw their changes, yeah. which was good for me to see that. Yeah, and just, and, and you know what, other things too. Imagine turning up to a program with 15 other men that had just been released from prison and they're on the one room together. You know, it only takes a couple that want to get back on the gear again and then all of a sudden they've turned up to corrections and it's all about being influenced, you know. And part of their parole conditions would be not to associate with other criminals. Uh, exactly. So by default they've been forced to associate with other criminals. I know for myself, look, I, I hated going to parole. I had to go on because, I, you know, here I am trying to live this law-abiding life and I don't want to hear war stories about what's going on in prison. You go to parole officers and that's all blokes want to talk about. And I fucking couldn't. Like, I used to pick times to go to parole when I knew there wouldn't be any there. But I just want to touch on something. These guys, could that program have been run whilst they were in prison? Like It, it was. It was being run in prison. Yeah, it was. There was violence programs whilst in prison and then whilst in the community. But... I what, guess was it, what, was the, what was the reason for it being run externally? Oh, see how they go in the community, turning up to do programs and trying to get a job and, you know, trying to get back in, engaging with their family again after mm. letting them down. So there's so many things that took place in a small time of their life that I reckon it was, I think it was set up for failure, to, to be honest with you. So that would have been, for me, that would have been extremely hard. Like I got out of prison and I my goal was to work 12 hours a day, seven days a week for two years straight. Yeah. And I wouldn't have been able to do that. There's no way I would have been able to do that and, and you know, and create a work ethic. I understand them guys. Like you, you're working full time, trying to get home to do this program, like, you know, because <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Was um, the program itself, do you think it was successful or – Look, I reckon if there was 15 guys in the program, five would probably take something out of it. Yeah. The others was just a tick in the box. Yeah. And then, funny enough, when I got back in the system, because I had a five-year break in between, yeah. I seen some from back inside again. Yeah. It's just like a big circle. Round and round we go, you know? Yeah, for sure. What sort of programs do you think would be effective in the prison system? Anything work-related is going to help me get employed. I, I say that. I say two things. Firstly, anything to do with trauma-related, dealing with trauma. Yep. Because once you deal with trauma, the drug addiction stuff's a walk in the park. And then trade, whatever, work assistant and that sort of thing. Did they have many of them sort of programs in prisons in New York? Oh, yeah, like at um, Lodden Prison they did. Like they have TAFE set up yeah, and they can do some courses, but they never had stuff set up to do like pre-apprenticeship courses. So if you were doing some time in prison, right, there's a 16-week pre-apprenticeship course you can do, yeah. carpentry, electrician, whatever. Yeah. Why don't they do that in prison? So when they get out, they've got a chance to get an mature age apprenticeship. I say this. I remember... And, and, and even today, I think anyone would agree. Anyone trying to get a tradie right now will agree we've got a tradie shortage. 100%. So if some bloke's doing a six-year bottom, there's a perfect opportunity for them to do an apprenticeship. Value adds to the community. They get out, there's an extra tradesman. Yeah. I remember years ago at Long Bay, they used to have a program called the Brick School. You could go there and come out a qualified bricklayer. You know, it was one of the most successful programs I've ever seen, and they no longer do it. Yeah, that's crazy. Anything, it's been my experience. Anything that works seems to get – they end up yeah. getting rid of it. Yeah. They've just got to be able – people have got to get out and be able to get employment. Yeah. And if they've got no skills whatsoever, where do they land back on? Another, another thing that I had a, I have a bit of a beef with the parole system is um, – so I've got a nephew who's been in and out of prison for the last 15 years. He's yeah. still in now. Last time he got out parole, 
he tried to go and live with his dad mm. down the beach. Would have been a perfect environment for him, right? Beautiful um, sort of – it wasn't so much a caravan park, but he's got a beautiful setup, like a two-bedroom apartment in a caravan village type mm. thing, you know? You know, my brother's got a boat, he loves fishing, all that stuff. Perfect. They went and assessed him. The CCS location went and assessed and said, yep, it's good to go. Pole board said, no, find another location. So he had to go and live with his grandmother – down the same suburb where he'd done all his offending. So what, what do we do? We throw them back into the lion's den. Yeah. Right? A couple of weeks after being let out, they catch up for a coffee, they're back with the crew again. Yeah. Right? Back inside six months later. I've seen a lot of that, huh? It, yep. doesn't, matter, it doesn't matter what state. I know in Queensland they, they've got this pre-approved village where they're guaranteed you get your parole. They'll knock it, they'll, once again, they'll knock about home, home places where people can move right away from the area for them to be moved. And they're putting them there with other crims. Yeah. When you started the prison system, obviously you, you've got this right attitude, you want to help people. Did you find any, like, sort of kickback from that by fellow officers or anything like that? Did- yeah, look, old school officers that have been around a while, there was some kickback. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong, I've got a lot of good friends in the prison system yeah. and still have some good yeah. friends and, you know, together we've all been through a lot yeah. in the prison system. Sure. But, yeah, there's some kickback because, oh, you're never going to help them, you're never going to be able to do Crim lover. Yeah, crim lover, all that stuff, you know. I called a, called a prisoner mate one day in a conversation. This is another mm-hmm. pet hive of mine. I could be in a conversation with you. De-escalate in a situation, and in my sentence, say the word mate, yeah. right? Oh, he's a crim lover. You don't call prisoners mate. Well, I'm not calling them mate. Mm. What I'm doing is I'm trying to de-escalate a situation. Yeah. And if I say something like, come on, mate, this is not going to work out for you, yeah. that terminology to me yeah. made you feel relaxed because I was sure. talking on a lower, le- lower level, you know, yeah. like not, a, not a level where I'm getting heightened with you. Yeah. I oh, know, crim lover. So yeah. you do get a bit of that, and that was disappointing because yeah. – at the end of the day, it doesn't have to be green versus blue. I don't think so. I don't, there's a stigma there, and I don't think it has to be like that. And you know what? And that's always put to me. If you treat me like a human being, I'm going I'm to respond to you. Yeah. You know, I've had a few officers over the years that were just you know, showed me kindness, and I responded to that kindness. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, done my job. You know what I mean? If he wanted that officer wanted me to do something, I, I got it done. I was never, you know, I wasn't being recalcitrant or anything like that. I was always getting a job, and it's amazing how far a little bit of kindness goes in them places. Yeah, them old school blokes, you know, they try to indoct. I've seen it. I've seen it firsthand. The young officer comes in, wants to do the right thing, and the old old school hardheads want to indoctrinate him into that nasty way of thinking. Yeah, I've got a story when I was down at Goulburn, and I, I tell this quite often. And um, there was an officer down there. And he was notorious for ripping up photos, and, and he'd obviously he'd been punched before, and he'd got a uh, comp- he'd got a payout for it. So I went and gave him a doctor Phil, and I said, "Mate, I said uh, that's all right. You can." And I told him, "I said there's a few hidden ones there. You might make it a bit easier. Just get them, rip them up. Can you rip them up like I like things in order?" And, and I said, "Just do it evenly, man, because it does my head in if you don't." And he goes, "Oh, I won't run." And I said, "I'll tell you what. It's going to happen with you." I said, "You're going to go home. She's so going to drive up the driveway. The wife's going to see. She's going to dread you coming in." But she cops you because you're the breadwinner. I said, the kids are going to go and hide in a bit, put the headphones on, make out they're playing games. The dog's going to hide because you're a cruel bastard. You're going to sit on a lounge, rip off a fart. You're the only one who thinks it's funny. I said, your family hates you. I said, because your problem is you can't disassociate from that nastiness and not take it. You can't go, oh, that's the front gate. I'm going home to be a kind, nice person now. 
and uh, and you're going to come home one day and they pack the car and they're gone. And, and you'd see a lot of that in that job. But the good ones are happy people. They've yeah. got happy lives. I've seen them in the community with the wife and, you know, I love seeing that. I'd, I'd yeah. say, I'd, I'd, and I'd point it out, I'd say, I'd, like I remember one coming up to engage him with his wife and I'd say, your husband's a good man. You know what yeah. I mean? And I, that's how it is. And it's sad when they've got that attitude. But you know what? I, I understand it. I understand, like, obviously a lot of them people have been traumatised by things too. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, it was yeah. a bad upbringing or something like that, and that's the job that they end in, yeah. end in, but then they pass that trauma on to others. Mate, did you see much violence in in, in, the, in the prison? Yeah, not so much at um, Lodden, but yeah, Barwon prison for yeah. the last six years. Barwon's your maximum security here. Maximum security, yeah. Yeah, super max. Were you there when the riots security. were there? No, that was in um, MRC in Melbourne, Metropolitan. Was it? That was down there, yeah. yeah. No, we were like a sentenced to maximum security prison yeah. with uh, high security units, management units. Is that where Carl Williams died? Is, yeah. That, is it? yeah. He, yeah. In the Acacia unit, yeah? Yeah, yep. What's the Acacia unit like? Is that- it's just like a um, it's just a management unit. It's just like a high security management unit. It's so like high, six, high profile prison. Six, six men? Is it how many men? Six men? Or there's different? There's four units and there's could be up to 20 or so. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's all separated, like one out of the time. Yeah. Would it have surprised you, like, when he got killed and, how, and the manner he got killed? Yeah, I had some friends that were working there at the time. So it was pretty horrific. But, yeah, at the time there was a lot going on with, I think, their cases and the yeah, police yeah. and everything. So probably wouldn't have surprised me given what was happening at the time. Yeah. Yeah. But at the end of the day, would it, Barwon would have the worst. They have the worst, probably the worst in the state, sometimes the country in Barwon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So nothing would surprise me. Are gangs yeah. a problem in the prison? In, yeah, in, now they are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah they're very big problem. Yeah. Yeah. I think in New South Wales, like I've done jail in New South Wales, Queensland and the Northern Territory, New South Wales, I think the gangs are yeah. being a big problem. And I think... Where that stems from, uh, just to enlighten the part, I think it's that sense of belonging, you know? Yeah. That sense of belonging, they end up in a gang. There's a guy, um, I'll, I'll shout out to him now, David Beter. He was um, he was in bar when he was in the Acacia Union. He's doing really good things now. He's got his own I've podcast. I've seen his podcast, yeah. Yeah, top bloke. He's, yeah, he's, he seems like a good fellow, yeah. Really good fellow, and he's uh, he's found God, and yeah. <laughs> God's obviously been very kind to him. He's got a very, he's very forgiving guy. I'm going over to do some Royal Commission stuff with him in New Zealand. Yeah. Can you just sort of enlighten our listeners on what's the date? What's just, can you explain the routine? Like people are fascinated by it. What's the routine? Let go. Can you explain what time let go is and what the routine, general routine is? So it's pretty much across the board, whether you're in high security management or at the back in the compound. So it's, you know, like eight o'clock in the morning, let out. They go about their business, get themselves breakfast and they do a count. Um, some will go off to work, some will hang around. What sort of work are they doing? Oh, they're working factory work. You know, they yeah. could be putting nuts on bolts or... Um, <laughs> Sheltered workshops. <laughs> yeah, which, yeah. <laughs> to me, imagine doing that for six hours and yeah. getting paid $6 a day. Yeah. Yeah, little things like that. But the high security units are a different operation altogether. None yeah. of them work. They just get their couple of hours out of their cell a day and they yeah. get escorted to where they go into the phone, kitchen or... When you say escort, handcuffed? It's, some of them are, yeah, yeah and high-risk... Offenders or um, 
Yeah, there's different levels of handcuffing. So some of them are handcuffed, some of them aren't. Yeah. Yep. And so just the general pops. So they get out at 8 o'clock in the morning, yep. breakfast, off to work. Off to work. And what about, have they got full-time education there? Or there, is, there is education, yeah. So there's education available, but again, sort of lower level stuff. It's not Basic math and English, yeah. Yeah, yep. And then they've also, so they've got like education, they've got work. There's programs, but yeah, some of them do programs. If someone, if someone wanted to do uni, could they do uni? Yeah, 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 they can apply to do distant ed. Yeah. yeah, they can do that. I've got a mate of mine, Jeff Morgan. He's a Koori fella. He done his nutrition degree in in, in jail in Victoria. He's killing it now. Yeah, he's, he's got Jeff Morgan lifestyle program. Shout out to Jeff and just doing amazing things. He goes around doing corporate talks. He talks in the boys' homes. He goes back to the prison. And yeah. I think that's a classic example. When you give someone the right sort of training and the right rehabilitation, it works. Rehabilitation works. It does. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, tell me this. Like, did you see many fight? What was the what was hyper, oh, Let's yeah. just go. Let's just do a a fight goes down. What goes down? Code yellow is it? Or what sort of code? Uh, so a code will get called. Yeah. Called could be when a code gets called, it goes over the ra- the radio. Yep, code whatever it is for the assault, or it could be officer being assaulted. Yeah. And then um, yeah, there's a quick response to that area. Yeah, real quick. And yeah. um, that was one thing that blew me mind when I started the barn. If there's a uh, an officer being assaulted and the code goes off, it's in 10 seconds you've got 15 officers there. Yeah. In 20 seconds you've got 30 or 40. Yeah. It's pretty quick. It's pretty yeah, quick. Yeah. The response is quick. And, yeah, look, this Bowen has a lot of incidents, yeah. especially recently. Uh, yeah. A lot of staff assaults. Dad stabbing here the other day. A couple yeah. of, a few blokes got stabbed and off to hospital they go. But I've been a part of a lot. Yeah. I've seen a lot. Uh, I've seen a lot Did of Did you ever get assaulted or anything? Never. No, no. No. Why do you think that? But tell me this. Why do you think – I'd like to ask this <laughs> – why do you think that is? Because oh, this is nothing against any officer yeah. in the country. It's just with me personally, the, it's, I think it's the approach you have on someone, yeah. how you approach the situation, yeah. how you commence talking with them, yeah. and how you can stay with them, stay yeah. with the conversation. And even if you say, mate, like you say, like things, you know what, it's something as simple as that. Yeah. Un- unfortunately, you're not going to get in, – in maximum security prisons – Shit's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, officers are going to get assaulted and it's just a really bad day for them, yeah. officers and, and their families. And yeah. it's, it could be anything as far as a bail. They want to uh, just had a bad decision by MOU, which is a placement unit down in Melbourne, if, you know, some bad news. And the first one they hit is the officer coming out the cell. Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. it, it's unfortunate. I've seen it. It is what it is. And if you, if you don't have in your mind that you're joining the job, that's going to happen. Yeah. Probably shouldn't join the job. Yeah, you're working in a if you if you join the police force, you know you're going to get something's going to happen at some yeah. stage of your career. And prisons the same. Yeah, it's just unfortunate that that happens. But I've never been assaulted. I just think my. Can I tell you uh, something now? Yeah, a lot of the good ones haven't. A lot of the good ones haven't. I've never seen. There's a bloke from jail in New South Wales. He's called Dino Dino Cruzman. He's an ex pro boxer. They're not going to sell him for one because it'd be a fucking nightmare if you did. <laughs> Yeah. He's just also on a really good communicator, like yourself. Obviously, you know, he possesses. Do you think more communication? And like, how long was your training to be an officer? Oh, eight weeks. This yeah. is another pet hate of mine. It's an eight week training. So in 2002, when I joined, it was eight weeks training. Yeah. In 2017, when I rejoined the system, it was eight weeks and pretty much identical. Yeah. Which is sad because no nothing's changed. Yeah. It's classroom, PowerPoint, death by PowerPoint. Whereas to me, I, I think it should be longer, should be minimum three months training. There should be more focus on 
conflict management resolution with communication. 100%. And there should be a week of that. It should yeah. be role play after role play after role play so that young people, because 21-year-olds are coming into the office with no life experience yeah. and they have to come across a crook that's talking down on them, how they're going to respond to that. They'll get nervous. Yeah. They'll, they'll either get nervous or they'll go above yeah. and think they have to go one up. and That's not going to work either in maximum yeah. security prisons because they're going to get it. Yeah. So I think there's got to be a main focus on communication and it's just got to be longer and more placement, more place. So the officers have to be out in the prison on longer placement so they learn the role better and are more confident when they start. I agree. You know, in Norway, Norway is a country that's got the lowest recidivism return to prison rates in the world. Being a prison officer is a degree. <laughs> I don't blame it. That's, that's, a, that's a degree. And I guess then, then that's reflective on their recidivism rates, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and I think communications, everything. I'd done 23 years in prison. I had six fights in 23 years. And I think that was because of my ability to be able to communicate with officers. Yeah. It goes a long way. But I learned that from older crims. You know, I had older yeah. ones pull me under the wing and go, you don't call them dogs. You don't, if you want a gate open, you, you know, it's about communicating. Hey, can I get the gate open, please, chief? A bit of manners. Yeah. And, you know, it's just amazing when there's good communication, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, you know what? I was, I've done a bit in the prison service. You know, I was a recreation officer, prison officer, when senior recreation prison officer. Recreation is the best job. Was, it was a great job because, you know, like prisoners needed me and, mm. you know, because um, they wanted things like, you yeah. know, fitness stuff and I kept yeah. up because my background's boxing as well. Yeah, yeah. So I used to box as a kid, yeah. did a kickboxing, I did a master's boxing. Yeah. I always made sure the boxing gym were good. Boxing, um, you know, people with boxing backgrounds, they're best prison officers. And I'll tell you why, because they know about discipline, they know about commitment, and they know about communication. Yep. I remember seeing some footage of Barry Michael sparring in one of the jails down here. Or, oh, no, yeah. no, it was Leicester. I think it was Leicester. Leicester. I think Leicester. it was Leicester. I don't know where that was. Have you, um, seen, have you ever seen it on, yeah. on an Instagram and they're actually they're sparring? Oh, that, I reckon that was at Pentridge years ago. Yeah, it was on an oval, yeah. old footage, and I thought, fuck. You know, back in the day at Lodden, they used to have local boxer come in with his group of boxers yeah. come in, set up a boxing ring in the unit, and have the boxers fight the prisoners. Yeah. Very controlled. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't have it these days. Can't. But can't have it. But what people don't understand is, right, a lot of officers used to say to me, I teach them how to fight. Getting, they're going to be stronger, they're going to be fitter, they're going to be learning how to fight. Mm. Well, if you communicate better may not get to that. Mm. But what they don't understand is boxing, the cardio in boxing, the mental health, learning reflexes and just the confidence mm. right, makes you a calmer person. Yeah. And you know what? It's funny with boxing itself, it teaches you not to fight people who can't fight. 100%. You don't need to. Yeah. It doesn't – you don't have to prove yourself. If you're a boxer, you don't want to fight someone who can't fight. You want to fight someone who's going to challenge you. Yeah. yeah. But I was saying, do you know – Cruzman, he used to bring – I've been in the jail when Johnny Lewis brought out, Costa Du, Justin Rousel, Rube Kennedy. I, I know the Waters brothers going in sparring. People rest- – I think there should be way more of that. Yeah, I do right. too. I just think we've got this massive mental health problem going. Like, as you know, prisons are a dumping ground for mental health people. Yeah. One of the best antidepressants and best way to treat mental health is fitness. 100%. Yeah. And do you, do you think they're sort of moving to, away from that and more towards the prison industrial complex? Yep, I do. Yeah. yeah. Even when I was at Barn, they used to – they never used to like box. Like they took focus pads off them and I set up the gym so there's lots of bags in there and yeah. circuit training and that. So I tried to make it look like a boxing gym and give the guys a similar workout. But, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, look, there was 
if me and you were sparring right now, the, what boxing, so you'd have the pads on of the gloves. Yeah. Well, what a lot of officers didn't understand is the one holding the pads, they're just throwing back loose punches yeah. so that I can defend. Yeah. And to me, that's hand-eye coordination gives confidence. Yeah. A bit of self-esteem. You're actually good at something all of a sudden. You've never been good at something in the past. Oh, no, I've got to take away the focus pads. Mm. Yeah, like, is this, oh, because we don't teach them how to fight. It's not, we're not teaching them how to fight. It's just a, it's a fitness program that's probably one of the best in the world as far as any yeah. cardio fitness. Yeah. Like when uh-huh. I used to box, I stopped boxing and had my last fight in Bendigo probably about six years ago. Mm. It's about 15 kilos lighter. Yeah. But my mental health was clear as hell. Yeah. I, I was, I had the attitude of a 21 year old. In the gym sparring, I was sparring even with pro boxers. They were 18, 19, 20. I was keeping up with them. Mm. I was getting home, feeling a million dollars. It mm. was crazy how I felt. I was younger, mm. stronger, fitter. And then I stopped and moved to the beach and started another new life. And yeah, I've got to get back into it other than a few injuries, but um, I was a big so advocate for it. There's another side of this. To, I'll tell you, I, I, I too love boxing and, I, and I've done a lot of boxing and that in jail. But when I got out, it was the boxing community that embraced me. When they knew of my story, yep. they embraced me and they give me a sense of belonging. I, I went last year, I went, I took a fighter to, took a, blow, a fighter called Bruno Torimo. Angelo Hyder sent me over to Manchester. The best, one of the best times of my life. But the whole boxing gym give me a purpose. They didn't give yeah. a fuck about my background. They didn't care about that. They just said, mate, just come in here, show some respect and be an asset to the gym. Yeah. And, mate, you're welcome here anytime. And bring your mates. And they're getting out of – and it was always sort of come here, that you belong here you're with yeah. us. But boxing gyms won't cop drug use. There's no there's no drug use. In, yeah. There's no place for drug use in jail. And, and, and oh, man, I just – I cannot explain to people the importance of stuff like – whether it's boxing or AFL or rugby league or whatever, I think yeah. sport and fitness in general is a great discipline. Oh, 100%. Great routine. Two, two of my biggest people growing up was watching Mike Tyson and Jeff Fennick. Yeah. I'd love to meet Jeff Fennick. He's a Top big one. idol of mine, right? If you're out there, Jeff, I love you, brother. Yeah. Do you know, you've got him on Facebook and probably for the last six years and – I admire how we do this with everyone. Yeah. He wishes me happy birthday on Facebook every year when it comes up. Yeah, goodbye. And I respond. So thanks, yeah. Jeff, you've made me day, and he responds again. And to me, that's a sign of just a great person. Mm. But watching him as a young bloke boxing, and I was a young bloke too watching him, I'm like, I want that hunger in their eyes and their heart when they're fighting. Their determination and their dedication was incredible. So as a kid growing up, to me, him and Mike Tyson were similar. They were mm. so hungry and they would just never give up. Never, ever give up. And that was me as a kid growing yeah. up and I developed that same. Work rate. Yeah, it was just incredible. I remember going through a stage and I was really, we were watching heaps of boxing, heaps of stuff like sport. We were engaged in football competitions coming in from the outside. And I can remember a lot of them blokes that went through at that time, I never seen them again. Sport in itself gives you routine. Yeah, and I think that's what a lot of people come to prison and they lack. They lack that routine. But once they embrace routine, they get out. Like right now I've got this routine that's really good and I live by this routine. It gives me the discipline, gives me the structure for my whole day. I know where I'm going. Prison does that too. Yeah. It can give you the – that's one thing about prison. It will give you a really good structure. You know what you're doing now. You know what you're doing at 2 o'clock. You know what you're doing and you know what time you're going to bed. And yeah. I think if you're – whether you're fighting or training or, or whatever – it gives you that structure, and it's it's sad that the 
Working in a fucking workshop, putting nuts and bolts together or sewing up body bags or anything like that, they ain't going to equip you no. for the outside. No, it's not. It's just um, putting a band-aid over the solution while they're inside. Yeah. We'll, we'll manage him while he's inside. When it's time to release, we'll just set him out to the lines again. Did you ever sort of voice your concerns or opinions to management about, you know, what would work and what wouldn't? Yeah, but, you know... I had conversations with certain management people mm. over my time, but it's always above them. Yeah, yeah. So local management, and sort of defend them in a way here because they're trying to run their prison the yeah. way they're told, basically. Yeah. So it always starts up the top. Yeah. to a commissioner, uh, whoever up the top. They set the standards, and things that go on at the prison are probably set in guidelines by the top. Mm. But, yeah, you can voice it, and I can put forward programs and I can put forward ideas about what should happen. Then it's got to, you've got to put in a, um, a submission and it's got to be approved and that takes three weeks and then mm. all of a sudden after mm. a couple of months it goes away and no, no one knows about it and then mm. around and around we go. So, yeah, look, there, there is some good managers there. There's very yeah. good managers at Barwon. There were some that had some egos. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I just went about my own way. Yeah. Like, you know, I'll tell you a story, right? I was in the response group mm. for a little bit, so we were wearing our dark blues, mm. just responding to codes all day yeah. long. And every single day I walked past a prisoner, I say hello. Yeah. Every single day. Yeah. I couldn't care, give a shit, I didn't say hello back. Yeah. I say, good morning, how you going? And after a while I was getting responses. Now I'm a response guy, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. I hate the most. Yeah. All of a sudden I go, hello boss. Mm. Now the bloke with me used to say, I've had people say to me all the time, what do you say hello to them for? Mm. Well, hang on, let's just You're think, de-escalating. About, think, You're think de- about what you just said to them. Yeah. What do you say hello to them for? Well, straight away you're instigating the blue yeah. versus green. I might be saying hello. Yeah. And then you may get a hello back, you may not. It doesn't mean I'm a crim lover. I'm just being respectful. Yeah. So if I was in jail, that's how I'd want to be treated. So and at the, oh. end of, <laughs> at the end of the day, anyone can go to jail. People don't realise this. Yeah. I'll tell you another story. I watched my son get coward punched at a footy yeah. field only a couple of years ago. And it was two weeks before we, I lost my mum. It was a really bad time of our life. Mm. He's playing footy and this coward from another team and uh, ran from nowhere as he was getting up and stood over him and king hit him twice. Mm. Knocked out, fractured eye socket in three places, broken mm. nose. Now, this particular day when I sat there and watched it, I was over the fence. Mm. And our water boy was a copper. He knew I worked at Palm Prism. Mm. He grabbed me and said to me, I know where you work and you won't have a job by the end of the day if you keep yeah. going. So he pulled yeah. me back over the fence. Just for a minute there, this kid's mother, by the end of the day, wouldn't have had a kid. Yeah. I'm telling you. Because it's very, very hard to watch That's his son. It's 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 yeah. incredibly hard to watch your kid get assaulted and attack like that, especially by a coward. Ever since then I thought, anyone can go to jail. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I could have been in, uh, that day. I could have been done for manslaughter. Hundred percent. I, I would have laid into this bloke, and I wouldn't have stopped because I always thought growing up you'd look after and protect your kids. Yeah. And on this day, I couldn't protect him. Yeah, that would have. Uh, and it hurts me still. It still yeah. hurts me now. The fact that I couldn't protect him. Yeah. So I picked him up, carried him to hos- in my car, took him to hospital on my own, gave their club a serve, and no one stepped forward. Yeah. And then I took him to hospital, and he was in there for a while. Went to the police station at the end of the night and had him charged. Yeah, rightly so. The worst thing was, because we had to do it the right way, worst thing was, yeah, this kid ended up getting a, a fine and a CCO. Yeah. And What's a CCO? Correction? Community Corrections, corrections Order. order. So, so just me, it wasn't do... enough. Yeah. Right? 
Then he went to the tribunal at the footy comp, footy league, and got eight weeks. My son didn't play for 12 weeks. Yeah. My son got out longer than what this kid got. Yeah. And to me right there, that league could have set an example on coward punching on the footy field or any sport. Yeah. You know, it could have yeah. put a stop to it. could have made a campaign of it. Yeah. The result of this kid, they should have put it out there. Yeah. This kid got this, this, and this for doing what he done. Yeah. Strong advertising wanted nothing of it. No yeah. one wanted nothing of it. And I, I, felt, I felt, I still hurt today. You, I can imagine it. I was picturing on my own son. It's crazy what people can get away with too, you know, the injustice of stuff. I want to touch on something. How, like, and people ask me all the time, how are sex offenders treated in prison? They're treated like, this is the frustrating bit. So they're treated the same as everyone else. Mm. But we have a protection unit there that are all in. Yeah. And the protection unit we have in there is the worst of the worst. Yeah. Before the prisoners in there that half of them have been on television before and crime yeah. stories. Yeah, yeah. The worst of the worst. Let me tell you, it's very tough working in that unit. Yeah. And I feel have, you worked, the, have you worked in that unit? A few times, yeah. 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 I've responded to codes in that yeah. unit and it's very tough and I my hat goes off to the officers that work in there full time because yeah. on a daily basis, so they get out just like mainstream prisoners, yeah. eight hours a day. Yeah. I work out in the gym. They have cook-ups with their mates, and I'm talking about rapists who have killed babies, who have killed women, the yeah. worst of the worst, and they just they enjoy their eight hours, they work out with their mates, and they walk around with a laugh, a smile on their face. And that's what, that's what used to get to me the most, right? Can I just ask you something? The public perception would be they separate them, they isolate them so they can't associate with them. Is that not true? So at Barwon, they're separated. Yeah, but as in they're not allowed to associate with, with each the, other. Yeah, no, that's not true. In this unit, they all share. They associate. They, all sex offenders are with together. So in this particular unit, unit you've got sex offenders, baby killers, you know, blokes that have raped and killed women. that have been all over the news yeah. and TV, and and they all just share the same unit. Well, do you reckon it'd be fair to say that that would be the perfect environment to form pedophile rings? Oh, no doubt. Yeah, 100%. Because I, I get asked that all the time. People go, oh, they, don't they separate them so they can't talk about – it's like, I'll tell you something now, I'm a bank robber. When I, back in the day when you could rob banks, us bank robbers used to get together and talk shop. Yeah. And how drug importers would do the same, whatever, breaking out car thieves will do the same. You know, I can recall once in jail in Queensland, I went and got a book, and uh, out of that book – all pictures news cut out of newspapers of kids fell out of that book and it felt like that book had been touched by the devil. And I went, oh, I handed it to the screw. I said, look at that. Look what just fell out of that. And you know what I mean? That just made me sick. Then what was your experience like with them Them sort of thing? Because they don't think they're criminals, half of them. No, they don't. They, don't they, actually, they actually get shits with each other. Yeah. Because they think, you know, if I was a pedophile and you were, I'd, I'd be angry with you. They don't yeah. actually see themselves as one. And they're all not guilty. All not guilty and, they, and they're all pretty, like they're cowards really. Yeah. They're just weak people. Yeah. It's just, yeah, anyone that does that to any kid's weak. Yeah, for um, sure. One of the hardest things. It'd be hard as an officer. You're a father of kids. Would it yeah. be fucking hard not to fucking go fucking like a like? Yep. Mate, get in here, you fucking rat, and fucking get a few of these in here. And, you, and you've got a boxing background, so you yeah. know how to handle yourself. Yeah. It'd be really hard to not do that, wouldn't it? Like, it'd take a lot of self-control. Yeah. And it's, this is where I admire the, the officers that work in these units, because I was a human rights trainer, uh, both prisons. I used to com- um, run sessions and teach staff on how to communicate with prisoners, but also um, 
you know, about the human rights, how we can't act and, and breach human rights. Now, you try telling, try telling an officer that that bloke over there who's killed a baby, mm. a two-month-old baby, and banged his head against the wall or whatever, you try telling that bloke that when he comes up to the console, treat him with respect. It's a hard, very, very hard I've never thing to do as an this. officer. I've never looked at it from this side because I always used to just see – from my side, I'd just go, I'd have to bash him every day. Yeah. T- so we think it, yeah. but, and this is the admiring bit about some of these officers, is that they have to stay controlled, respectful to each and every prisoner. Because they'll write you up, they'll the complain prison. about you. Hey, 100%. They're the, they're the worst. And they'll walk off and they'll snitch on each other and they'll snitch on officers and they'll, yeah, they come up and they hang around the officer's post. But you have to treat them equally like the bloke has done the bank will hold ups. You have to yeah. treat them all the same, which is, yeah, as an officer, very, very hard to do. Because yeah. you see them and you just want to throw your head at them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you just got to treat them respectfully and the same, which I get it. The human rights charters out there. We've got to act accordingly. The human rights charters for everyone as well, not just yeah. um, the prisoners, officers as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and there was a lot of negativity with the human rights charter when it came out because yeah. a lot of officers were confused and thinking, well, you know, they, they, they shouldn't have rights. But yeah. You should have a right in how you be treated in prison. My yeah. nephew's in prison. He should have a right. If I went to prison, yeah. I'd want to be treated like shit. Well. And unfortunately, you've got to treat the pedophiles and the baby killers and the women rapists and murderers the same as everyone else. It's just, it's unfortunate, but if you want to become a prison officer, if you're yeah. thinking of going through your head right now, that's what I want to do. Be prepared to be able to treat them evenly and equally. Mm. Uh, if you're not, don't. Join the job. Yeah. It's unfortunate, but that's what we've got to do. When yeah. I was working They're in, extremely they were, manipulative, though, aren't they? Oh, 100%. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They, try, they, try, they read the play in the unit pretty good. Yeah. I've even had an officer say to me about one of them, I don't know if he's good for it. And I said, he's been talking to you too much. You know, that bloke's got on your skin. Now, that's dangerous. Yeah. You know, when they, when you, and I'd say, mate, that bloke's as guilty as fucking sin, you know. Yeah. But, do, you know do you know baby killers? I don't get touched either, you know, like no one. By the other, what, the other, by the oh, other. I don't know what the go is. Back in the day, I reckon if you were in jail and you you were in the same unit as a, a guy that killed a baby, I reckon you'd want to give him a bit of a touch-up every now and then. Wouldn't you just remind him about what yeah. he's done? But it just doesn't happen. Not, yeah. Nothing like that happens anymore. The consequences are so high. Like I know what happens. I know there's been some blokes that have been charged with bashing child molesters and and they've got more time than the child molester got. Yeah, I've seen that firsthand. Yeah. 100%. I feel sorry for your sentences. Mm. You've got people who will rape a woman nine times and get six years jail. Yeah, yeah. And what, what that bloke's done is destroyed her life forever yeah. and her family's. She'll never be the same. In six years' time, he'll be out. And I've, I've got a strong belief that you'll never rehabilitate a sex offender. They'll always be the same when they get out. I explain it this way about sex offender. My sexual preference, I'm a heterosexual male. I'm attracted to a certain type of woman. A gay guy is uh, attracted to a sexual, uh, another male, lesbian, to a woman. They're attracted to children, and that doesn't change through a little fucking course, a sex offenders course where I read a, you know, I read I read this book, I found this book in a library, and the, and the title of it was, was from the sex offenders uh, course, Me and My Deviant Behaviour was the title of the book. And I looked at that, and it was brown. It made me fucking sick, and I yeah. just couldn't even open it. Yeah. Crazy. It's, uh, it's unbelievable. But they don't, that's that thing with they, they, they just got this complex where they don't think they're, they're criminals. They don't think they've done anything wrong and they expect preferential treatment. Yeah. 
And they, I'm not saying they get it. Like, they don't get the, the treatment. They expect it. To me, someone like that should be in 23-hour lockdown forever. 100%. For the rest of their life. They should be, be able to let out one hour a day to go to the yard, and go to the fucking whatever, kitchen, yeah, cook yeah. up, and go back to their cell. Not mix eight hours a day and have the luxury of that. Yeah. So that, that's my biggest belief for that. They should be locked away forever. Have they, have they, do they run special courses and have they got sex offender courses and that sort of stuff that they've got to do? Um, look, there would be. There's another location up in there, right? Yeah. Mate, a lot, lot of main so sex offenders. Yeah, yeah, they'll go up there, yeah. We, got we, a, do, we get more the high-profile rapists yeah. that, um, that are high security and we, we sort of get housed with them and we've got to manage that. Yeah. And they're way off programs. Like they're they're not they're forty years in jail. For sure. What about someone like like I, I was watching that documentary about uh, Andrew Fraser, the lawyer. Oh yeah, I haven't seen that. Yeah, yet. it was Channel Seven one, and was yeah. that he come? Do you ever come across that Peter Dupass? I did a couple yeah. of times. Yeah, yeah. He's somewhere else now. I don't know where he is. Yeah, fucking. He's, he's a bad sicko. Like, yeah. you know, and I said the phrase. Fraser done Australia a favour. Fraser fucking give evidence against him and, and help yeah. solve it. And mate, he should he should be a fucking given award because that bloke's him, yeah. a fucking grub. Yeah, you know what I mean. And um, it was uh, a creep to walk past. Yeah, it was just a weird creep. Yeah, that you can pick it. Hey, like some yeah. of them are. Like there was a when, when I was in jail, I got sexually abused by. I was sixteen years old. I got sexually abused by a negrophiliac, and I'll say his name. His name's Jeff Hardy, high profile negrophiliac. Being pinched for it two or three times, having sex with dead bodies, breaking into morgues and shit like that. Fucking weird. They've just got something. Can you explain, like, to the public, like, everyone's got this general idea what a pedophile looks like. They're not all fucking old fellas with glasses and that, are they? No, no. They're just the everyday bloke that could be walking past you going to get a coffee. Yeah. You you can't pick them. Yeah. You you really can't. They could be 16-year-olds. They could be 21-year-olds. They could be... 80-year-olds, you, you really can't pick them at all. Yeah, because um, there's no stereotype for them, is nah, there? No, nah, no, nah. And I think, you know, the public have just got to be conscious. It, I always teach my kids, no, I don't sort of overprotect them. I don't say, you know, like I don't make them nervous when they go out. Yeah. But I just teach them to read the play a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You know, read the play with people. And they're good at judging people. They're good at sort of picking out what they think and who they are, but... Yeah, and that's from your time in the job too. That would have made yeah. you a better father. Like you would have seen a lot of kids. You would have seen a lot that all they needed was a good role model, yeah? 100%. Oh, I worked in for about six months before I joined Barwon, I worked in ResiCare mm. with some kids. Yeah, and that's not good either. Like their, their, their lives and upbringings are terrible. I thought I was a really good role model. And when I left to join Barwon, a lot of them, a lot of the staff and kids were upset that I was gone. Yeah. But the thing is, I should treat them like I would treat my kids. I'd have the same personality. I wouldn't change my personality mm. for anyone. Mm. I was just Pete Natoli. That's this is me, mm. and this is how I treat every human on, you know, on this earth. And yeah, I had a good rapport with the, the, the kids there. They were really good. I even started teaching the kids some boxing and get some anger out. I used to smash up the place all the time, and then yeah. he stopped doing it a little bit. I look at violent offenders, right? And and I've got this thing, and I say because um, I deal with a lot with the voice of a survivor stuff. I do. And and I say you want to start the healing journey, man. And it's about being vulnerable. Yeah. Fucking jails are hard place to be vulnerable, in. and uh, j- jails are hard places to sort of get rehabilitation because it takes uh, vulnerability and it takes some honesty and some self reflection. And yeah, and if that's not there, and that's what I, I always say about violent people are often people, and I'm not justifying it one bit, but there's people that are that are acting out or got no communication skills and. 
and they can't get vulnerable to express how they feel. Yeah. Should be more of it. Yeah, 100%. 100% there should be more of it. You know what I'd love to do? Like, it'll never happen because corrections have got their system and training programs and stuff in place that they'll never change because they haven't changed in the last 20 years, so why would they change it now? Yeah. The training packages. But I'd love to become a consultant one day, yeah. travel around Australia to all new recruits and prisoners yeah. and teach them communication strategies when dealing with prisoners. Much needed. And it needs to be, you know, real life. And then yeah. you sort of sort out who wants to continue doing the job yeah. and who doesn't. Yeah, for and it sure. And needs to be needs to be someone out there doing it, not just following a session plan that learning and development has developed yeah. that any prison officer can come along and teach it. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. I, I believe you need someone with the experience, the personality, and someone that's never been assaulted because of the way they treat prisoners. Mm. Someone like that, I'm saying me, yeah, yeah, I'm is to get you. out there and actually um, – Teach new recruits on how to communicate better. Yeah, I think so. I think communication's massive. And I think I've seen that gung-ho officer come in and wants to help the world, wants to do all your case notes and everything like that, to four weeks later he's been indoctrinated by the old hardheads and you try to get a toilet roll, he's up there playing solitaire on a computer and goes, mate, yeah. come back later. And I'm just – it must be hard So that, that annoys me. Yeah. Yeah, that really annoys me. And you would have seen a bit of that. But you know what? And I've seen the good ones – that have maintained their integrity and go, fuck, I'm not being, I mean, I'm, be, I'm being me, you be you, and they're normally the blokes can fight too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, look, I never used to um, be persuaded by anyone. Yeah. i just, just keep doing my job and, you know, keep getting accused of calling prisoners mate or <laughs> snap. But it wasn't, it was never calling them mate because they're mate. I wasn't trying to, some officers would say stuff like that because they were nervous and scared, so they'd try and have a conversation where, oh, come on, mate, like, yeah. you know, because they're nervous yeah. and scared. You'd but say it with confidence. I'd say it with confidence in the hope that me and you can talk through this. Come on, mate. But you know what? The crims, no. They, they would have known about your boxing background. They yeah, they went, did. A lot of them did, yeah. And they, and they know that you're not going to be a soft touch and, you, and they yeah. know that fucking they're going to have their work cut out. Yeah. And that's respect. Yeah. This bloke's not trying to be a tough guy. He is a tough guy. If I fucking challenge him, I could end up coming off second best here. I'm going to show him a bit of respect for that alone. Yeah, he doesn't. He's not here trying to prove to himself how tough I am. He's actually calling me mate. He's, you're sort of meeting him halfway by that. Just just that alone, and I think that's admirable. Yeah, that's admirable that you could say, "Listen here, you fucking can't fucking just do as you're fucking told, or I'll bash you." Yeah, that doesn't work for anyone. No, it doesn't work for anyone. Yeah. At the end of the day, we're totally outnumbered. Yeah. Instead, oh, except for high security units, when we're moving one prisoner at a time and there's five staff, you're not outnumbered. But in the main compound, people have got to remember that you're outnumbered. At any given day, it can turn to shit. Yeah. So how you treat prisoners may come back on you one day if the compound erupts or something happens. Mm. It may just come back on you. I've only seen that happen once. I've seen it happen in Jalina, Queensland, where... Yeah. But once again, an officer come in, whoever unrespected... And he fucking de-escalated the whole – he said, oh, come on, fellas, fucking – and that was that whole thing. Hey, fellas can fucking – he was smart enough to go to the main head who was calling the shots on the whole movement and yeah. had that working community like, – because I'll tell you what, that day there was one officer that escalated the whole thing who started that off and everyone just said, fuck this, we've had enough of him. Yeah. Because of his lack of communication, he endangered his fucking workmates. Yeah. But a good one comes in and goes, who, who once again can hold his hands up, everyone respects and goes, fucking. And he, and he says, just do us a favor, man, and fucking. Yeah. And everyone walked away. Yeah. I've got a pretty scary experience, actually, with um, something similar to that. 
it was when the almighty COVID hit and yeah. we took away their visits. Yeah, wow. A bit like back in the day when they took away smoking. Yeah, yeah. Rights. This was pretty similar. Yeah. But nothing sort of hectic as that. But on this particular day, probably one of the scariest moments I've had in prison. Yeah. The very next day, visits were going to stop, right, which was going to be hectic, mate, mm. especially fathers want to see their kids and loved ones and that. Mm. But it was just the way the government had it, got to stop visits. Mm. So on this particular day, there was two prisoners in a high-security unit. It was a management unit, actually. And um, during their run-outs, they managed to scale the fence, got through the roof and got on top of the roof, right? There's nowhere no. they could go. No, they can't no. get out. It's just they escaped no. this sort of immediate area, no. right? So code was called, you know, escape or whatever it was. Mm. The whole response of Barn went to that area, mm. right? So I went there too. I thought there's too many of us here. I'm going to go out the back, mm. right? So I went out the back and all of a sudden I've walked out there and there's about 100 prisoners on a basketball court, Right, they could see the two blokes on the roof, so they were keen them all on. Mm. I walked out the back, and there was me and probably three or four other officers. Right, and I walked up and thought, "Mate, this is this is not good. Mm. This is going to be. We've just taken away their visits, and they're refusing to go away. Mm. Everyone else has responded to the other incident, mm. and I'm at the back with three or four people, so I had to target it very, very carefully. You know, like they called it lockdown." And um, managed to get some people back in their cells that were already in units, but the hundred that was on the basketball court weren't moving, right? Yeah. So for a short period of time, there was four or five of us trying to communicate with these prisoners. Did you, get, did you get have away. gas canisters or anything with you? Or? Nah. So the response, all the response people were at the other incident. Yeah. Right. So this is like a two or three minute period where I'm thinking, I don't think I'm going to go home tonight. Yeah. Because what I could hear in the in the, heard the, the basketball with the chatter, yeah. the basketball court is, fuck them, let's go on with it. Fuck the cunts. I can't yeah. see me kids tomorrow. Let's get them now. There's yeah. only four or five of them. So this is what I could hear. Yeah. And in that short period, I was like, fuck, what am I going to do? Mm. You know, I can communicate to three or four or five and try and de-escalate, but this is going to end bad. Yeah. So I just picked out targets. Yeah. I just saw I'm going to start putting out – Spot fires. Yeah. So I went to the men, yeah. the guys that I got always, with. Can, you, can you explain, in that crowd, there would have been four or five blokes that would have been shot callers that would have fucking, yeah. that would have, been, would have influenced over the whole situation. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And you could hear them. And yeah. I'm like, oh, I've got to do something here. Like, my heart was pumping. The yeah. other officers' hearts were pumping. Yeah. And I thought, I'm going to have to put out spot fires. The only yeah. way out of this is to put out spot fires. Yeah. All right? So I went up to a guy, yeah. big Islander guy. You know, I got a great rapport with him. Yeah. And I just quickly pulled him aside and yeah. started talking. He said, listen, mate, this is not going to go down well like for anyone. Yeah. You know, um, It's not going to go down well for me, but especially not going to go down well for you guys either in the long yeah. run because the visitor's going to be gone for longer. Yeah. I know that he had kids, so, you know, you, you know think about your children. Yeah. So then, oh, no worries, Mr. Natal. He'd walk away and communicate with his group. And yeah. then all of a sudden, they started dispersing back into their units. Yeah. I'm like, fuck, that worked. Yeah. I'm going to go to another spot fire. Yeah. So I started doing that, right? In the meantime, as I'm doing that, response come with their canisters out. And I'm thinking, and there was only like one team of them, four of them. And I thought to myself, fuck, if they start spraying, we're fucked. Yeah, yeah. Because what they're going to do is they're going to turn on us. Yeah. The spray will affect the first 10 blokes in line. Yeah. But the ones behind will come around, we're fucked. Yeah. Right, so I managed to grab one and say, "Don't you fucking dare pull your gas out." This is a communication thing. This is not a, 
a physical thing. Yeah. We need to try and talk these guys down because yeah. we're totally outnumbered. Anyway, so after over a period of time, we sort of just we all started just talking to the ringleaders. Yeah. To we did actually get them yeah. back in. It took yeah. about twenty minutes with minimal staff. And that was the day where I thought it's me communication skills. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have been good um, But it was certainly a day where I thought I wasn't going home. Yeah. It's stuck in my head. And some of the things I was hearing was like, we're fucked. Yeah. But that's that's a credit, mate. That says a lot about you as an officer. And I, 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 I'd never encountered you as an officer, but that would tell me a lot about yourself. And there's, there's a been – I've come across a few that can can do that. I remember I was in jail in Darwin. I was in, in Jimberama jail and – and there was this, a, a bloke up there called um, Alan Tunney. He was at boxing background, and he was part of the squad. And he had a few there. He had a few officers, and they, they they would come in. And he said to me, Russell, there's a company that want to have a one on one with you. Are you up for it? And I said, Oh, with bells on, because there's a couple there I had fucking resentments with, you know. And we're doing this. We're <laughs> we're punching on for whatever it was. Ten minutes, the camera would get pushed up. We go and punch on, and I, and I was winning a few. But then he was going away and training, and they'll come on back and getting better. And the fucking fun and the fun come out of it for me because you know what I mean. They'll get better, but I was all even that was like that's a different fucking type of respect. At the end of the day, I'd hit the ground or they'd hit the ground, and that was it. Fucking, yeah. I was over. Yeah, he's had enough. See you later. And that's that's how you could do it in the old days. You can't do it these days because everyone will fucking report your crims will report the screws, the screws will report the crims. You can't do yeah. that. Long gone are those days, but I'll tell you what, it fucking communicating. Like, Alan Tunney was just a good bloke. I had nothing but respect for him. I remember a crim tried giving him up for something he didn't do. Yeah. And I pulled the crim up. I said, you can't fucking do that because he's one of the good ones. He tried saying he was bringing in drugs when he wasn't. And I said, mate, don't do that. It's not good for you. Don't go telling fucking lies. And um, But, uh, mate, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, it's been very enlightening. I've I really enjoyed it. I, and I, I'll tell you what, just through how you've spoke, I, you know, I, I play videos in my head and I could imagine the, I, when you talk about the, the response and I play it and I was just thinking, you know, I dead set no, those situations you've been in. And we need more people like that. We need people with communication skills in those sorts of jobs and that because yeah. we've got to fucking, mate, if – if anything's a failure, it's our prison system here in Australia. Massively. You know, yeah, massive failure. It starts at the top and they need to just not talk about it and actually plan and yeah. actually make it happen. This is the problem. They talk about it for ages. Lived experience, like yourself, like myself. Mm. We go in there and we say, this is this is what will work. And I think I think you talk about it. I think you agree. You know, work, like giving them a qualification. 100%. Trauma counselling, get them fucking address that trauma. Yeah. Don't put them in positions where they've got to go and hang around with a bunch of crims in a fucking course for 10 weeks when they get out. Yeah, that's exactly – yeah, that's what it is. That's what it's like. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, we could go on for – I could oh, go I could, on forever, mate. I've got that many stories, but – Yeah, I could I could too. <laughs> but uh, time's beaten us. But, hey, yeah. Pete Natoli, thanks for being on the sticker. No problems, mate. Really appreciate it. Thank you.